What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Mellow Mondays. Today, we are back with our interview series. We are interviewing Michael Galloway. What's up, Michael? (laughs) I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. So if we seem a little distracted off the bat, we are also live streaming this right now on Instagram. So Michael has like 32,000 followers on Instagram. And so we're trying out something different. I don't know how it's going to go. But it, it might be fun. Yeah, it'll be fun. So we're going live on Instagram right now while we're recording this podcast. So uh, yeah, it'll be fun. I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, so we're we're going to mostly be kind of just talking about some stuff um, here. We have some notes, some kind of guidelines where we want to go with this podcast. But we're also going to be looking at the comments for those of you on Instagram Live. We will uh, we'll try to answer some questions if if we have a dull moment, and we'll uh, we'll go from there. Sweet, awesome. I think a good way to jump in is kind of how we met. So those of you guys not uh, watching live right now, we are at the Lake of the Ozarks. We're sitting um, in my living room. The background is the nice lake. It's a sunset. Well, it would be sunset if it wasn't cloudy out today. Yeah, if it wasn't cloudy and overcast in like low 50s, it would be nice out. Dude, for real, today is today is cold. Like I will ride in pretty much anything, and I did not ride today because I was like, I am cold. <laughs> the only reason I got in the water today was to move skis around. It was rather chilly. So we met, it would have been three years ago? Yep, yep, three three summers ago, yep. How long have you lived at the cove you're in now? Oof. I have been coming down to that house since I was born. They've had that house for going on 23 years now. And uh, even before they had this house in the cove, they actually owned another house in the same cove. So my parents and family have been living in this same cove on Lake of the Ozarks for going on like 40 years. Yeah, so that's crazy. My family has a similar story. We have not been here that long, but we have had this house for 27 years. So it was three months after I was born. So like, it's kind of the similar story. We literally live a cove apart, but ne- like never met each other. I, I mean, I'm sure I'd seen them, but for some reason, like never met until literally, yeah, three summers ago. We, so I, I, was always into like riding jet skis and stuff, but I'd never had a stand up jet ski. And so three years ago, my uncle ended up buying one. I got super psyched on it. Those of you who listen to the podcast all the time, obviously, you know, I love stand up jet skis. I love the lake. Um, but Michael has been into stand up jet skis way longer than I have. Yep. I got started into stand up jet skis from my cousins in Texas. Ever since I was a little kid, they have been bringing jet skis from Texas up here. They would buy anything and everything, whether it was running or not. They would fix it. They would sell it. They would flip it. They'd make me ride it. So I've been around jet skis since I could walk. And so naturally, when I turned 14, the very first thing that I did was I got my boating license. And since then, I have been shredding on stand-ups ever since. Did you get your boater's license in school as well? I did not. I had to take the test online. So the school that I went to was not even, it wasn't even anything offered. See, that's what's crazy. A lot of people are like that. I got my boating license in health class. We literally, I mean, we literally like took the class. I got my boater's license. Like it was perfect. See, I think that's hilarious because if that would have been a thing at my school, right? Like maybe like 1% of the people would have actually 
use that or had any value to them. I mean, honestly, I don't think anyone at our school did other than like, <laughs> I could name like five people who probably know how to like buy, like drive a boat and jet ski safely from right. like the people I graduated high school with. But that's funny. So we, we never met up until three years ago. And then, uh, we met on standups. I don't know. It's kind of a funny story. Cause we both have very, very different perspectives on, kind of how that interaction went. I don't know. You're, you can tell your side first. It's, right. uh, it's funny. Yeah, so I ride around in the cove extremely often, and I happen to be riding with another uh, buddy of ours, Alex, uh, who's now a mutual friend. But um, I'm always riding around the cove, racing around, chasing boats, just doing whatever. And I know where the other stand-up guys live. I know who's around. I know who's in the cove. And all of a sudden, one day, I see a black 2014 Superjet just riding around in the cove. And immediately, that piqued my interest because this is new, right? You know, I know who rides and who doesn't. And so he was new, friendly face. And so I went <laughs> I went over there and um, tried to investigate with Alex and see what was going on. And so we would wave to him and try to try to get him to notice. And he was just laser focused into whatever he was doing. <laughs> yeah. So we tried to get his attention. We'd wave to him. I'd kind of just go over there and he would just ride away. Like it wasn't like anything major, but he would just like go wherever we weren't. Right. So he was obviously just trying to either learn or focus or whatnot. And eventually I was like, all right, enough of this. After a couple of days of seeing him ride, I was like, okay, we, this is enough. So I just kind of like ambushed him when he fell real hard one time. And I was like, I'm just going to find out who this is when he, you know, doesn't have the opportunity to ride away. And so, uh, yeah, I, we met there and I kind of, we kind of just talked and the relationship, uh, friendship kind of just took off from there. And uh, now we've been riding together for, you know, three summers. Yeah, it's crazy because... Him and him and Alex are other homie. He's actually in the chat right now. So what's up, Alex? I saw your little hand. Yeah, I there. see you. Dude, that's dope. So their perspective is really funny to me because I I did not see it that way at all. Like I could not physically take one hand off. Like I was not at the point. I I never ran into stand up before. I bought one, and so like I was just so focused every time I went and rode. Like I had to keep both hands on. Like I could not. I could not take my hand off. I could not do anything like that. And so it's just funny, <laughs> like, hearing them say, like, I was, like, standoffish, or, like, this guy who didn't want to talk, when in reality, like, like, I feel like I'm a homie. Like, I wanted to kick it. I wanted to ride. But, like, dude, I just, I couldn't. And so it's so funny. Like, I remember that night, ended up getting Michael's number. And then we started texting. It was just like, dude, like, all right, like, I think I'm coming down next week. Like, let's ride. And literally from... I mean, day one, when I started riding with you all, like I just exponentially started progressing like crazy, in my opinion, right. like compared to like what I was doing, like I wasn't jumping waves, like I wasn't doing anything like that. And so, I mean, day one, like we went out and like, I remember we hit a little cruiser out here one day and I, I wasn't wearing shoes at the time and I slipped off and hit my shin. Dude, I thought <laughs> I broke both my legs, like straight up, like I hit so hard, but I was just like psyched and amped to, uh to be riding like that's that's the homies so in all the the previous podcasts if you hear me talk about the homies or like the squad that's michael and alex like those are the core group for sure so it's been a good three years right and it's funny because um his progression when i first met him right he was a, a beginner in the true sense of the word right and 
uh, one thing that I noticed when I was starting to learn is writing with other people in the beginning was so helpful, right? Because if you're just writing by yourself, you have no frame of reference and no one really like teaching you what to do. A stand-up jet ski is so much more difficult <laughs> than a traditional sit-down where you just kind of, you know, grab the throttle and steer, right? A stand-up takes learning and balance, and there's so many different things that you can do outside of just moving in a straight line. So the learning curve, it becomes more fun as you learn more skills and more tricks to do. And so his progression kind of took off extremely quickly. Within a month from not being able to take a handoff and wave back, (laughs) he he was launching off waves like we had never seen so he progressed extremely quickly it's crazy like i i've had some friends down recently who like look at look at us riding the stand-up and they're like man like that looks super fun but it looks kind of easy and then you get on (laughs) one for the first time and you're like dude like this is pretty gnarly like it's just way different it's there's so much balance involved like especially in a lake like lake of the ozarks for those of you don't know this lake gets pretty crazy, gets pretty rough, and it's like, it's not, it's not like going out for a Sunday stroll on the sit down. Like you're no. working, like you're putting in work. You're tired. You're dead at the end of the day. Like it's, it's fun, but it's not, it's not just like a chill ride all the time. Well, not the way we ride. It is ninety three miles of just pure ocean waves it's the number one party lake in like the united states right and so there's 60 foot yachts ski boats pontoons fishermen and a just as many jet skis as you can possibly think of and unlike the ocean where you kind of have sets right it's it's at least semi-organized right and the sets come in this lake is known as just one big giant washing machine of in cluster of waves. There's no method to the madness, especially on a busy, you know, Saturday, Sunday, where it's just boats everywhere. And so it 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 really puts your skills to the test. Yeah, we're our cove is just off of the main channel. So we go out and chase cruisers in the channel, which we'll talk about that more later, but we hit one last night, which is dope. Well, yeah. I, I hit one. <laughs> yeah. We found an insane boat last night. I mean, it was insane. It was probably every bit of 50 feet. It's a Wednesday. It's freezing cold for the most part, right? There's nobody on the lake. I mean, we rode for about 45 minutes, didn't even see another boat, and all of a sudden we see this 50-footer just idling. And so we just hang out around it, and we're, we're waiting it out. Like, we know it's eventually going to take off, or at least we hope so, right? So we waited around and waited for it to take off, and... Uh, it was well worth the wait. Uh, Austin, <laughs> he might have been setting some uh, personal bests over there with with some of that hang time he was getting. Honestly, I think I did. I mean, so Michael was on the SXR, which he doesn't jump because he breaks things when he jumps that <laughs> boat, that ski. But yeah. People always tell me you can't jump SXRs, and I have a handful of photos that prove them Dude, totally I've got, wrong. I've got videos that absolutely prove that wrong. I've seen you launch that thing. Yeah, so I, some of my personal bests are actually on that ski, but in the process of full sending that ski on a consistent basis, I have broken many parts, and I would prefer not to break more parts. So as a general rule, I no longer jump that ski. That thing looks good when it flies through the air. There, it's just so <laughs> heavy and big, like, and it sounds it's so loud that it, it sounds dope. But that's the thing. So we we hit this cruiser. We've actually followed this cruiser before. I've never hit them like this though. They actually cru- like slowed down for us. It the channel smoothed out. Like it was kind of windy earlier in the day. I mean, it was, it was literally perfect. 
And I probably, I mean, I probably had some of the biggest hits I've ever had for sure. Um, of course, I wasn't wearing my helmet. Of course, of neither course of us not. had a GoPro. Like we just, but I was thinking about it when we got back. I was like, dude, I think it had to be that way because so much of our summers and honestly, like our life of jet skiing is like chasing cruisers and trying to like film all this content that like last night was a good reminder of like, man, like the reason I got into it is just like riding with the homies and just launching. Like you're not trying to find an Instagram post. Like it's just legitimately like the love of writing and just like sending it. And that's, right? I don't know. It was fun. Like I remember just getting back and I was like, dang, like, that was sick. Like, cause that, that might be the, that'll be the best cruiser I hit this season. Probably. Yeah. No, I mean, it's in it's, all reality. Yeah. It's very possible that we don't get that kind of circumstance. Cause usually we're either battling wind, other boats, or we just simply can't find one during the week. And so to find a Wednesday cruiser plowing it, you know, a 50 footer and no wind, no waves, no nothing. I mean, he was getting perfect clean hits on every single one and uh, opportunities like that don't come very often i am a little salty that i didn't have Dude, my gopro i though. wish i wish you had your gopro i wish you would have had your super jet because i yeah. wanted to watch you hit that <laughs> thing dude. you would have launched so that that's a good way so i mean you got into stand-ups at what age uh, I would say that I started getting into them probably around like eight years old, but I worked um, for a local city pool when I was 14 years old, and I saved every single dime I made that summer to buy my very first ski when I was 14 years old. I knew exactly what I wanted, and I wanted to stand up, and I said, I'm not going to spend a dime of this money, and I saved all of it just so I could buy my own stand-up, because as much as I love running, riding my cousin stuff, like, you know, they come back and forth, I wanted one consistently, and I wanted to do my own stuff to it and not really have to worry about it, so uh, I bought my SXR 800 when I was 14 years old. And seven years later, she's gone through some transformations, but uh, I still have that same ski today. I didn't realize that was the same ski. That's your first ski. Yes. That's crazy. Yes. Same ski. Uh, it's now got a bigger bigger yeah. motor in it. It is no longer an 800. <laughs> yes. It is much faster uh, and way more powerful, but uh, it is the same ski, essentially. Dude, that's sick. I didn't, I didn't know that. That's cool. Right. Yeah, and a funny story about that is when, I mean, I was literally just getting into it, and so I had no frame of reference of what was worth what or or what a good deal was. I did some minor research, but I was 14 years old, right? And so I had, like, no idea. So seven years ago, it was a 2008 SXR, so that would have been, like, 2011-ish, and I found that SXR for $3,800. To give you guys a frame of reference, right now, I could sell it within an hour for $3,800. And that, that's seven years ago, right? Um, I actually walked away from it at $3,800. I said, no, that's too, <laughs> that's too expensive. And so a week later, he calls me back and he's like, will you do 34? And I said, yeah. And so we got in the car and we drove back. So it is absolutely mind-blowing that I walked away from an SXR that was three years old seven years ago for $3,800. I, I would buy one right now for $3,800 it looked like that. So it, it's kind of crazy that I lucked out that way. It, it was meant to be, I would say. Dude, that is crazy. So on top of the SXR, you have a, uh, a Superjet. What year is your Superjet? It is an 08 Superjet. It's an 08. It always looks so much better than an 08. It's crazy <laughs> to me that like 
they're so old. I mean, they're not old, but that's 11 years old. Right. Like, it's crazy. It's it's crazy that that ski is 11 years old. I'm a little spoiled in that my first Superjet ever was new. Right. But, I mean, at the price point, dude, like, for what I was, like, looking at buying one for, it just it just made sense. Right. Like, I don't know. Yeah, no. But that's the thing. It's, like, hopefully, yeah, I mean, I can run this ski for 10, 12 years and then sell it for, like, three or four grand, which is wild to me. Yeah. That'd be sick. You also have a uh, a Richter. Yes. The uh, the high performance ski. Yes, it is a custom built one off jet ski. For those of you not aware uh, of the jet ski industry, it's pretty much all custom made carbon fiber. The goal is to be as light as possible and as power as possible, powerful as possible. Just do flips, spins, all sorts of crazy tricks. Uh, that ski will outmaster my ability tenfold. Um, but it is a lot of fun. Dude, that ski is wild. I've ridden it a couple times, just like, I mean, just around the cove, nothing crazy. And it's, I mean, it is so, it's so powerful. And like, you see people flip jet skis and you're like, oh yeah, I could do that. And then you ride one and it's like, dang, like, do I think I could flip it? Probably. But would it be terrifying? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what everybody says. Probably the favorite thing that I get is when I do stuff out in the cove and people see me flip and whatnot, you know, it obviously entertains the kids, but the most enjoyment that people get out of it is the older generation that grew up riding stand-ups, right? Like a yeah. 1978 Kawasaki 300 that, you know, has next to little or no power compared to what they make now. They're like, oh, I used to grow up riding those. Like when I was growing up, that's all we had. And so like they have a a loyalty and passion to stand-ups that far surpass even my love for stand-ups. Dude, the problem is now that, so he rides the Richter in the Cove and we, a lot of people tie up um, in the back of our Cove um, on like Saturday nights and stuff. And he'll go back there and do flips, which is dope. But now, anytime anyone in our cove sees a stand-up, they automatically do the, like, do a flip sign, like, you know, with their fingers, like, do a flip. And it's like, man, like, you're not flipping a stock Superjet. Like, people just don't get that. <laughs> it's it's funny because it even comes back to bite me, right? Like, I can do that on the Richter, no problem. But they don't associate, like, Richter or Superjet. They just see stand-up jet ski equals flips. So it even comes back to bite me because when I'm not riding the Richter, they're still telling me to do flips and stuff. And I'm like, you got the rider right, but you don't have the ski right. So I I can't do it. And it's always really awkward. Like they're driving down the lake. I'm driving down the lake. They're like giving me the flip signal with their hands. And I'm just like putting my hands up, pretty much telling them that I'm lame. I can't do it. It's it's, it's like, it's like, (laughs) it's pretty much just telling them I suck and then they get all disappointed. Like you can like see the look on their face and it's like, Oh, but (laughs) well, and then, Oh, like, Oh yeah. Like that dude can't do flips. Like he's not good. It's like, no dude, like I don't have the ski. I think, I think I could flip my super jet off. Like the wave last night, if I yanked back, I could for sure land on my back if not further. Right. Yeah. 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 People don't realize like my hole is not reinforced. Like you're not flipping. Like it's just, People don't get it, and it drives right. me crazy. Right. You would definitely need to put in some footholds, or you would oh, go yeah. flying. You, I would die. <laughs> I kicked away last night just off a jump, which is not good. Like, So you, uh, you've you been mastering the flips. I've yep. seen the videos. I've seen a couple in person. Honestly, I haven't seen a lot in person, though. Now you're doing like one-handers, things like that. Like, yep. 
What do you attribute your progression to? Honestly, um, watching as many videos as possible, whether it be my own or other people that are far better than me. Um, some of the best ways to progress is watching your own videos of what you're doing wrong, right? So I try to film everything, not even just from like a social media content purpose, but like for a learning purpose, right? So I go back and look at almost every single flip, every single video, because I want to learn what works and what doesn't, right? So like I can listen to other people tell me what's going to work, but I want to find out for myself exactly what's working and why. So I look at all the different videos and kind of just process the information and dissect it and just kind of try new things and experiment and see kind of what works and what doesn't. So that's been a, a big key to my progression, but also just watching other people that are far more talented than I am at this point, um, watching their videos, seeing what they do, and, and, and even talking to them in person. The Jeski community is extremely nice for the most part, right? Yeah. So like everyone is super open. It's not, it's not like I know this one trick and I'm not going to share with it with you how to do it. Like I reach out to multiple people just asking for advice and tips and, and most everyone is extremely straightforward and they're more than happy to help. And everyone just wants to see everyone progress for the most part. So that's, that's also been a big key to my progression, but I've still got a long way to go. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that's kind of the exciting thing about jet skis and really like, I mean, not necessarily just competition, but like just growing in a sport or growing in something in general. Right. It's just like kind of that, I mean, like, think about Mark Gomez. Like, do you think he ever just sits back and is like, yeah, I've made it? Like, I don't think so. Like, now no. he's doing, like, the super, what is it, super, is it called a super flip? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, so he's doing a Superman backflip off flat water, which is insane. Right. Yeah. And it's like, That's... I'm sure he's got all these tricks in his mind where he's like, you know what? Like, I think I could take it even further. I could do it even better. Like, that's that's crazy to me right and then you got lee stone doing double backflips on flat water dude don't even don't even get me started on that he's making us all look bad congrats to you lee you're 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 killing it out there um but i mean years ago you wouldn't have even fathomed that that was possible and now just a couple years later you know you've got you've got lee doing it pretty much at will and you've got a couple other riders that can that are starting to do it and many more that are trying so i'm sure fast forward a couple years you know it will be not even as big of a deal as it is now well it's kind of like travis pastrana in a lot of ways it's like you know throwing the double backflip for motocross and right now it's like going to the triple it's just like at what point do you physically hit the limitation of like just science and right. like gravity Dude, double, a double backflip off a setup wake is insane to me. Right. I, I, That's yeah. huge. I don't, I mean, there's videos of guys where there's two boats going down at once and that, that V wake that comes together is a massive wave. And you've got guys that used to do doubles off there. And as impressive as that is, now you have guys doing it on essentially flat water. It's crazy. I mean, it's, it's, it's mind blowing the power that that ski has. I mean, it's, it's crazy. As a part of your progression, you you started doing some competitions, yeah? Yeah, last year I went to my first two competitions, and that was a real eye-opening experience for me, just because usually here in the middle of Missouri, in a landlocked state, there are not too many freestyle jet ski riders. So in that sense, I am pretty much left uh, on my own to discover what works and what doesn't. I really don't have 
anyone else within a 300 mile radius to really like help me or and point me in the right direction. So actually going to a couple of these events, you know, I got to meet people in person and, and really get to talk to them and, and learn from them and see what they did. Taylor Crest specifically is uh, and Chase Mueller, they were a big help for my progression uh, at the Pomona and Clinton events. So uh, shout out to them. Um, but yeah, me meeting people in person and really getting advice you know, face-to-face -face and them showing and talking to me in person has definitely sped up my progression. <coughs> as far as competitions go, is that something you're looking at continue continuing to do? Or are you, it's just kind of like, if there's one available, you'll do it, but you're not really, are you training to do competitions or just throw back flips? Uh, my, my goal is to progress, whether that be specifically for competitions. I, I like the sense of competing, but my goal is progression, right? So as long as I'm progressing, I have no problem competing. Um, so it, there's some local to me. Uh, unfortunately, most of the Mecca jet ski world is extremely far. You know, you're talking about Arizona <laughs> yep. and in California and various places. And here in the middle of Missouri, there, we have some local stuff. And I definitely plan on attending all of the local stuff. But as for attending, like bigger, more household events, my progression would most likely have to improve a little bit before I make the journey out there. But uh, it's definitely something I'd love to do. Yeah, so it seems like, obviously, there's there's not a whole lot of opportunity as far as competitions go in the Midwest. But I feel like we're doing something a little different out here as far as oh, what yeah. we do for... Uh, so, I mean, there's like... There's flat water, there's like, you know, like using Richter's, things like that to like, there's freestyle jet skiing, right. like backflips, huge 360s, whatever. There's surf riding. And then like, I feel like for us, we're kind of like the third niche, which not a lot of people do. Right. Which is chasing cruisers. Right. Yep. So like your traditional lake rider, depending on where you live, you know, you're talking about flat water. Like if you say I ride at a lake, your initial response is... You know, it's flat water, wind waves, or mid to small, like mid-range boats, right? Like most lakes don't have 60 to 65 foot yachts on them, unless you're talking about some just like major, major lakes. But besides like the Ozarks and some, some lakes in Michigan and stuff like that, there's really not too many lakes that have 65 footers on them. And so we, we kind of created our own little niche here of chasing boats, kind of pretty intensely like uh it's yeah. it's it's not it's hard to even describe uh <laughs> how much fun it is and how different it is um it's pretty it's pretty intense we pretty much scope out and scout out any large boat within the vicinity and the second that we see one we are full gas all the way chasing it um, and our whole goal when chasing boats is just to send it as hard and as big as possible. Like injuries aside, ski aside, how big can we go and how, and just how much fun can we have sending it off these waves, right? So we try to get everyone on the boat involved. I mean, obviously I'm super hyped. 
the homies are hyped. Anyone we're riding with is hyped. Sit down, guys, have their jaw open, and they usually don't even <laughs> they, <laughs> yeah. they don't even mess with it. Like usually, like if we're riding and we have at least three stand up guys, the, the sit down guys might take like a hit or two, and then they're like. All right, these guys are obviously for real. I don't want to get in their way. And they literally usually just back off, except that one sit-down guy that everybody knows that just charges full blast at it and just, yeah. (laughs) And chasing cruisers is an art form. People don't realize, like, we always describe it as organized chaos because, like, you're... You have one person hitting wake. You have the one another person on the other side of the wake waiting to hit. You have one person in the middle typically filming. And so it's just this constant shuffle in and out, in and out. And it honestly probably looks pretty dangerous to other people. <laughs> like we, we do get pretty close to each other, but I've never felt like unsafe or yeah, I, I, I don't know. I can't recall a single moment where I said I felt unsafe. I can recall many moments where I said, that was really close, yeah. but not unsafe. I there, a, there is a difference. It might not sound like it, but there is. I have a couple shots of Michael that I was like, I literally was like, oh my gosh, like that was crazy. Right. Yeah. We have a video where I pretty much flew over you. Oh, but that's, that's the thing people don't realize. It's not like we're hitting waves and going like two feet out of the water. I mean, when Michael hits a wave on a super jet, I mean, you're, I don't know, eight to 10 feet. Yeah. At least. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're going pretty high and like, that's the thing that I think is exciting about what we're doing is because we're landlocked and we are in this lake, but we also have this huge opportunity as far as like just hitting massive boats, we're able to just send it off of what, like we're doing what other people would need surf waves to do. Right. And we're just doing it. Like for me, I've got a stock ski, like it's just a proof, like you can hit waves with a stock ski, man. Like. Oh yeah, he this guy right here for a stock ski. I don't I don't know if I've seen better. I mean, this guy this guy is not afraid. Now does he have to do things that I don't have to? He's got to hit it a little faster than I do. He doesn't have the same low end grunt that yeah. I do, but man, he he charges that wave with no fear and he absolutely sends it. It is it is a it's a blast to watch him do that on a on a bone stock ski. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I would say the same about you, dude. Like I've seen you have some hits where I was like, oh my gosh, like I just could not believe. It's not just the height, but I mean, you're literally getting to like middle of the middle of the boat waves, like in between. Like it's so far, right? Like people don't. I don't know. We we do read the comments on people's Instagram posts. So like when we post a video or something, we read them and people are like calling us out, like, "Oh, you shouldn't have bailed or you should have gone higher." I'm like, man, like, I would like to see you come and try it on your your super jet. Like, we're going way bigger than people think we are. It's funny. It, it's really funny because the number one comment that I get is, "Why are you guys hitting the second wave and not the first wave?" And I get that question a lot. And the answer to that mainly is, for now, and we'd like to keep it this way, we do have good standing with the local water patrol, <laughs> which is just the police on the water, right? So far. Um, we'd like to keep it that way. So hitting the first wave is would be um, no doubt against the law, right? So it's like not there's no disputing it whatsoever. Like you're, you are well within the 100 feet is the law. And... Um, 
we like to stay on the good side because if one stand-up guy does something wrong, they don't really differentiate, right? Like one stand-up guy is the same. So like if Austin gets a ticket from getting too close to a boat, it's not like uh, an individual like random guy in a sit-down jet ski where a hundred million of them blend in all together, right? It's oh, he was on a stand-up. So therefore, all stand-up guys get lumped together. So if one does something wrong, they're just all assumed to have done it, right? Because they don't really understand the difference. Yeah. We've never been pulled over. Well, not, I've, I guess I've never been pulled over for anything, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah, me either, and I would definitely like to keep it that way. I'm going to not knock on wood because it's going <laughs> to mess up the mic, but we'll knock on wood later for, for that. Um Describe the feeling of like chasing a cruiser with the homies. Oh, dude, it's awesome. I mean, it's it's awesome. Not only from the heights perspective of just full full throttle into a wave. It's the entire process, right? So like these boats are out there, right? But they're not just like all over. It's the entire process is fun, right? So it's like sitting, waiting. It, it's like it's like finding the perfect wave in the ocean, right? You know, like that movie thing, like the surfers are just waiting for that perfect wave, okay? It's like the same thing. We're just yeah. doing it in the boat form. So it's like sitting, waiting for this perfect boat, catching it, because most of the time they are not going the speed that we want them to. So yeah. it's like it's just catching it. It's it's just flying through the air. It's 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 extremely exhilarating, and whatever else is going on in your life, good, bad, up, down, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just full sins only. Nothing else matters. It's a great time. Everybody's hyped. And, dude, it's just honestly the perfect getaway. You know, I, I couldn't ask for a more exhilarating and fun hobby to have gotten into. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, I think one of my big things about the lake is that feeling of, like, no matter what's going on in your life, in that moment, like it does not matter. Like time right. stops, it stands still. Like we always will joke with each other, like, man, like, well, you know, like if, if it's me, Michael and Alex all chasing a cruiser, like we might hit it for a couple miles and we'll just be exhausted. Like your back hurts, your arms are tired. Like you're just like, you hit the wave, you land, then you got to speed up to catch it again. And like, it's just this process and you're worn out. We'll stop and just kind of sit in the water for a little bit. And we'll be like, dang, like that felt like forever. And we'll look at the GoPro footage later. And it was literally like, oh, like we, we chased that for like eight minutes. And it felt like, I mean, it feels like hours when really you're literally, I don't know, time stops and it's dope. Like it's fun. Yeah, dude, it's awesome. Yeah, my buddy uh, Fat SXR right there just said, at the lake, nothing else matters. And I could not agree more with you. Literally, when you're at the lake, like whatever you're doing or whatever you got going on, work, whatever stress you got, bills, who cares? You're at the lake, you're relaxing, you're chasing boats, you're just sitting out, having a beer, doing whatever it is that you like to do at the lake. It's all fun and it's all relaxing. That's kind of a good segue into just not not just jet skis, although jet skis are kind of a huge part of our lake culture, but like what is what is lake culture to you? Lake culture to me is just like the atmosphere, right? Like I wake up in the morning, the br- I mean, this is going to sound so stereotypical, but like you wake up in the morning and the sun's shining in your room and you look outside and you're at the lake. The birds are chirping, like you're at the lake. 
It's like anything that you do all of a sudden just got magnified, right? So like I've always said that I would rather sit inside and watch TV at the lake than be anywhere else sitting inside watching TV. Like anything that you do at the lake is somehow just that much better, even if it's not at or on the lake, right? So, but the whole the whole meaning to the lake to me is just that atmosphere that everybody shares, right? It's kind of like a it's kind of like a new community outside of, of of where your normal community is. Everyone is super nice and friendly. Everyone on the water waves to you, and if you don't, you're an outcast. Like if you don't wave back to me, I'm I'm genuinely offended by it. So please wave back. Um, but everyone is super nice and friendly and everyone ties up together and, and if, if anyone were to have a problem, you know, there are more than enough people that will help you. It's just kind of that nice, friendly, getaway, relaxing, outdoors, all around fun experience. Well, and that's, that's the thing. I mean, especially on, on peak times at the lake, like there's just that buzz and that feeling in the air. Right. It's just like you wake up. I know for me, like we'll wake up and like my grandpa or dad or whatever, will be making breakfast. And it's like you eat breakfast, we might go ski and then we'll come back. And it's just like, there's just an excitement when people are on the water, like everyone's on their docks, having a good time, like drinking, like just hanging out. And that's, that's what's fun about the lake. Like I think especially in such a tech driven world, like, yeah, there are screens, like we have our phones and stuff, but like when I'm at the lake, I don't check my phone. Like I don't check emails. Like I'm right. maybe at night or if I know I have to make a call, I will. But like generally speaking, I'm on the dock and we're playing all day. And like, I love that. Right. And like you said, in a tech driven world, the idea that someone could go their entire day without their phone in this in this day and age is honestly really mind blowing. It is like, mind blowing. So it's really honestly nice to get away from that and not have to worry about emails or work or text or calls or whatever it is that you get on a daily basis. Just being able to go outside and hang out with your friends and family and just kind of put the rest of your life on hold for an afternoon. Well, it's just, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I mean, we've grown up here, so maybe, like, maybe I don't have a perspective of what it's like to not go to the lake every year, but, like, if I didn't have the lake or if I couldn't come here, like, what would I, what would I do in the summer? Like, what do people do who don't go to the lake? <laughs> I don't know, mainly because I've been in the same boat that you're at, right? Yeah. So I've been coming down here my entire life. So I don't know any different, right? But I will say that if you've never experienced the lake, you don't know what you're missing, right? Absolutely. So if you've never been, you don't know what you're missing and therefore you don't know to miss it. But I will tell you that if you haven't ever experienced the lake, I, I would I would find some friends that have a place or I would go, I would go out of your way to at least experience it and, and see if it's something that you enjoy. And, and, and not everyone enjoys the lake, um, but uh, all my friends do. <laughs> I would say, I, I have some cousins who don't like the lake, but other than that, most people I know like coming down. People can't always hang or play as hard as we do, but uh, it's, it's an acquired skill to be able to play and ride as much as we do. Right. I mean, it is it is absolutely physically exhausting. And it, it's one of the things that we do it so much that when we have when we bring out new riders that aren't experienced at this lake specifically in the conditions that it has, it's like I might hit one boat six times for every one time they hit it. And it has nothing to do with their skill set. It's just this lake is a totally different monster that most people aren't used to unless you ride in these type of conditions consistently. 
So it's, it's one of those things that it, it is extremely exhausting, but it's, it's worth every painstaking moment to just hit that boat one more time. And there's just nothing like riding with the homies. Like there just, there isn't, it's just such a good, I mean, we'll, we'll all be sitting, you know, outside a toad complex or wherever we are in the water, just kind of waiting for that cruiser to come over the horizon and like, we'll kind of see a boat and be like, wait, I, is, is that one of them? Like, I think it's a cruiser. We're not <laughs> sure. And then like, it gets a little closer and we're all like, dude, that's what, let's go. And so like, we all just like hop on and it's just that feeling and just like, we're all yelling and screaming and like, you have that first hit and then that boat slows down for you. Cause they're all like, oh, like, what are these guys doing? Cause standups really aren't very common where we no. are. No, they're not. And so to see a bunch of guys like three or four or five of us just ripping like jumping waves most big boats slow down for us because i think a lot of people are intrigued like it feels good to us when everybody's got their phone out on the back everybody's partying like listening to music like right we love that vibe because that that's exactly what we're talking about like that is the lake right and that feeds into us if we see that you're super hyped we're super hyped already, but when we see you're that you're hyped as well, we just hit like a whole nother level. It's like we just want to send it even bigger than we were because we know that people are into it. We know that people are filming. We know that everyone's having a great time. And so we see that uh, folk baskets that I would hurt myself. See, now that's a good that's a good transition to something else. Have you ever you know ever got any jet ski injuries? I honestly haven't, other than, I mean, I can think of a few times where, like, I slam my shins on the tray pad, which sucks, but, man, I've been really fortunate. I I say that, as we said earlier, I did not have my helmet on. I wear my helmet almost every time I ride my ski, just in case we hit a cruiser. I've slipped once on the tray pad, and my chin hit the side rail, and if I wouldn't have had a helmet on, I probably would have lost all my teeth, and so I'm pretty good about wearing a helmet, but... I did not think we'd get one on a Wednesday. Yesterday. Yeah, no, I was, <laughs> it was cold. <laughs> we were not expecting to get one. I would say I, I'm in the same boat as he is, and I actually <laughs> catch some flack for it, but I almost always ride with a helmet. Um, and people always seem to, to say, oh, you know, it's just water. You know, why do you wear a helmet? It's just water. And although it is just water, I'm not as worried about the water as I am hitting my own ski, right? So like when we're getting massive air or when we're riding aggressively, you know, you could fall and hit the ski or the ski could come down and land on you. And especially if you're in like a, in a racing format, you know, now you're worried about other racers that are coming at you. So, I mean, it, there's a million reasons to wear a helmet outside of the fact of just the pure impact of the water. I can tell you firsthand that I was practicing a, a trick on the on the Richter and I was upside down and my feet came out of the ski and so I landed and hit the water while the ski was still up in the air so I sank down and came back up to the surface and the second that I came back up to the surface the ski landed on top of my head absolutely just crushing my helmet and to this day if I was not wearing a helmet I, there is no doubt in my mind that I would have been knocked unconscious. I would have, I would have been, I would have suffered significant injuries, not to mention the fact that I was by myself at the time. So I am a huge proponent of wearing a helmet and that will not change anytime soon, especially based on my previous experiences. 
Yeah, I'm all for it. I'm a little skateboarder, man. I get not wearing a helmet. Like, I understand. I don't want to get hit by a 300-pound machine. Like, I don't want to slam my face onto it. I just, I've had dental work done before. It sucks. <laughs> I don't have great insurance. I cannot afford to deal uh, with that, man. Right. And, and honestly, I don't know about you guys, but I think it's safe to assume that most of you use your head for work, right? So, I mean, you know, this is not a full-time job for me, and I need my head and my brain for the rest of my life. So I'm willing to uh, look like a doofus, according to some people, by wearing a helmet on the water. That in practicing, uh, protecting my head is far more important to me. I agree. I mean, it's, so saying this isn't your full-time job, is this something that you maybe one day would like to make a career? Oh, or? I, mean, I mean, anything that you could ever do to make a dream or a passion or a hobby you know, your full-time job is obviously always a dream. For anyone that's in the jet ski community knows that there is not that much money involved. It's a relatively niche sport, small sport. So like, you know, you're, you'll take jet skis and then you got to take that down to stand-up jet skis. And then it's, it's, it's a very, very small niche that most people don't even know exists. And there is not a lot of money in the sport. So realistically, making it a full-time job is a very very unrealistic uh, expectation um, just by riding, right? But um, through social media, uh, it's probably a good transition. Through social media, you know, you can you can achieve sponsors and you can and you can do a lot of things with jet skiing that's not directly riding specifically or competing to make a living. You know, like there's not uh, there's not that much opportunity to make money from a competition standpoint. Now there are there are prizes, but it's not it's not enough to supplement a life of only riding. So from that standpoint, you know, probably not the most realistic thing. You've really started to grow though, as far as being someone in the industry who is, I mean, having that social media um, outreach. You've gotten some sponsors really in the last year. Yep, yep. Last year, last year has really taken off uh, on a social media standpoint, and I've kind of used that to my advantage. And I, I you know, I've built a, a following of jet ski people and fans and followers, and and uh, that engage with the content. And you know, I started at zero, like when I first created the page, like it was just like I want to document what I do and how I ride and kind of just share what it is that I do here. And I, I've always been a huge fan of just photography and videography. I'm not very good at it in the sense of like editing, but I just love the idea of capturing what I do. And so I started at zero and I slowly started to build and I would post content and I had no idea what I was doing. I was just taking photos and videos and posting them and I had no idea what I was doing or how I should do it. And so I slowly just started researching and learning about, you know, Facebook and Instagram and how the platforms work and what it would take to actually succeed on these platforms, right? It's one thing to post content and just hope for the best. And it's another thing to strategically work the algorithms in the platform to help, you know, build and grow and find success. In building and growing your platform, you've, I mean, you've got 
what, 32,000 followers right now? Yes. Yep. yep. Man, that's a lot of people. Yeah, it, it is a lot of people, and it, especially in the jet ski community. Not all those are jet ski related, but uh, it, it, it is quite a bit, and uh, super thankful. And, and the skills that I've used and learned over the past year and a half have definitely have definitely got me there. And uh, I'd love, I would love nothing more than to see more people in the jet ski community really learn to maximize their platform, right? There are far more talented riders than myself when it comes to free ride and freestyle uh, and and that don't necessarily capitalize on the social media aspect. And I would love nothing more for them to take advantage of it to maximize, you know, what they could do for themselves and what they could do for the sport. So my whole goal when I first started my own page was not only to document myself and just kind of like have fun and share photos, but quickly as I started to grow, my goal changed to I want to grow the sport as much as humanly possible, right? I love this sport. I don't care about the money. I don't care about the followers in the sense of some ego trip. I just want to grow the sport and do whatever it takes to do so. And so although I am not the best competitive rider in the sense of competitions, um, from an entertainment standpoint, I produce videos that, that do sometimes go viral, that, some, that get a lot of views and they get a lot of reach, and I can now reach a lot more people and get them interested in the sport. And even if they're not interested in the sport, I can make them aware that the sport exists in the first place. And then it's like, you know, it's just, it's word of mouth from there. And so anything that I can do to expand the sport and get more riders and more awareness is, is a positive in my book. Well, and that's the thing. I think that's a misconception with a lot of people is like competition, like living in kind of a cutthroat society to where like I have to be better than you. Right. Like a lot of people want to just be the face of something. But like I love what you're saying and that like, man, like if the sport grows, we all win. Right. Like, Absolutely. And that's where me and me and Michael are both uh, avid. Well, we both love watching like streamers. We were talking about this earlier today. Like, I love watching Twitch streamers. And so some of the biggest things I've learned from that is, like, man, like, specifically, let's say we watch Fortnite. Like, if right. Fortnite does well, all streamers do well. So, like, if jet skiing grows in popularity, it just expands the market even greater to have, one, more money, but just a, a bigger outreach. You can have more people successful and at the face of things which i think is really exciting being someone that will never be that face like it's like funny that like we literally had this conversation i mean three years ago and then here we are like it's like dang like so you've started growing and getting these sponsors and like having you're, you're starting to become that face of the industry of like man like you can do this like right. you can go out you know what i mean like you can get sponsors you can grow your instagram this is attainable Right. And but it, you have to be willing to put in the work. Right. And what I wanted to prove, I wanted to prove most of the misconception is, especially in the jet ski industry and, and, and almost all other industries, you have to either be at the top of your field to get sponsors or you have to be a very good competitor. And I am here to tell you that that is absolutely incorrect all right from a freestyle standpoint of backflips and, and, and competing i am nowhere near a top competitor right that does not stop me from having sponsors I, in the racing community i am not a top racer all right and 
that doesn't stop me from having sponsors and neither and from a free ride uh, perspective, just chasing boats, that's all recreational. There's no, there's no competition. There's no way to gauge it. Right. And so I've been able to prove that you don't need to compete or be good per se to obtain sponsors, right? The number one thing that sponsors care about is what do you bring to the table? Like, how are you providing value to them? Like, that's that's what they care about. And whether you do that by being a top competitor and, and gaining them, uh, you know, viewership in the sense of your podiuming or finishing high or getting a lot of views at competitions or whether that be at a, on a social media platform like Instagram or Facebook, at the end of the day, they want to know what you can do for them, right? And so depending on what your skill set is, that's different for everyone. But the idea that you have to be a top competitor to get sponsors is, is just absolutely incorrect. And, and I get a lot of questions about that because they're like, I see you have sponsors, but you don't compete. I don't, I don't understand. And so if anyone's watching this on Instagram or, you know, wherever, I, I, I would encourage you to reach out and, and attempt to get sponsors, right? Like you don't have to have a massive Instagram following. You don't have to have, you don't have to compete. You don't really have to have that many different uh, qualifications. You just need to know what you bring to the table to any company, right? You just need to know what your value is. Are you allowed to talk about what sponsors you have? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So right now, I actually am going to be working with Fly Racing. Um, just finalized that up uh, last week. Uh, Elusive Gloves. Uh, I've been with him for a while. Uh, they do. He does some really great things. Uh, BB Talking Intercoms. Uh, multiple, multiple different sponsors, and they, and they all and they all help me progress in what my goal is. Right, my whole goal is to provide engaging content and and really grow the sport. Right, so when I have companies that help support me and what my goals are, by by you know whatever it is, whatever products that they have, I'm able to build and generate better content that gets more viewers that ultimately reaches more people, which is exactly what I want because I want this sport to grow. I want more money into this sport. I want companies that aren't directly related to the watercraft industry to invest in this sport. There's not that much money in the companies that run this sport. And we don't have that many outside sponsors that come into the sport. We don't have, I mean, Budweiser does a little bit, right? So that's the main one, the main outside sponsor that really contributes. But we don't have like Frito-Lay. We don't have these major companies investing money into the sport. And that's my goal is to get more companies not directly related to the sport, into the sport, investing in the sport, and really to ultimately just get more riders and grow the sport entirely. And it's cool just being someone who, I mean, I think if you would ask me three years ago, like, would you want to do something with jet skiing? Like as far as a career, I would have said, absolutely. Like I would, I would love to be a content creator for like standups. Like, right. I would love that. But our, my life path has changed a little bit since that dream, obviously. Sadly, sadly. We had a magical summer. It would have been, it would have been two summers ago, right? Yes. Last summer. Well, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So last summer I, uh, Right, I moved to Nashville in like March. You guys have all heard the story if you listen to the podcast. Um, the summer before that, I mean, we literally rode. I think I figured like sixty days or something. Oh which yeah, a lot. It's quite a bit for me, especially working full time in Kansas City at the time. And so, I was fully ready to like 
start doing content, like try to make it big on YouTube. Like I have this huge infatuation with YouTube and then just life kind of changed. And like I had different goals and like a different career path and that's okay. That's not to say that maybe something in the future won't come up, but it's like cool to kind of sit down and have this podcast be like, Oh dang, like the homie is like pushing the sport and, and one pushing the sport, but two, like it's paying off and like, it's cool to see you're getting sponsors and like, I don't know. It just proves that like, man, like if you want to do something, do it. Like, I think so often we get scared and afraid to go for a goal or a dream and like we get discouraged or we're maybe not ready to put in as much work as we could. But like, man, like if you guys have a dream, like go for it. Like, yeah, like I, I think you have to make smart life decisions. Like if you're supporting a family and all this stuff, like maybe don't drop everything for something, but like, I don't know. You can always go for something, right? Like, Right. And, and, and for me personally, in, unless it's a specific career move that you want to make and it's money related, if it's a hobby that you're trying to turn into a career or any anything of the sort, never, ever do it for the money. Right. So like I never once even considered the financial aspect of this. Like I wanted to do it because I love the sport. Right. Like I was riding all the time. Like I, I I spent a lot of time at the lake and I was just filming for fun. And I said, okay, let's let, I mean, I'm, I'm having, I'm shooting all this content. I'm going to all the work. Why would I not just upload it? And so like, for me, it was all about the fun part. Like it's, and that's still what it is for me today. And I, that's, if you're, if you're getting into it for a financial aspect, I would consider that probably like the wrong reason. I, I would for take sure. your passion and use your passion for whatever it is that you're passionate about, whether it be, it could be anything. I would, I would let your passion fuel you in your whatever journey that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that's kind of a good segue just in kind of wrapping everything up. Like as far as the future goes, what is next for you? To keep progressing as a writer, right? I mean, I obviously, can, there's always room for improvement, and I definitely plan on spending a lot of time just continuing to master my craft, and I've got, I've got a decent amount of work left on the, the freestyle aspect. But from a, from a social media business kind of standpoint, it, it, you know, I, I want to continue to grow my personal platform to be able to reach more people, to, to influence the sport more. I just want to, I want to do whatever I can to help benefit the sport and, and kind of, in the main way that I can do that is just by growing my own personal platform to reach more people, right? I don't go to events as much as other people. I just don't, that's not my, that's not my area of expertise. That's just not kind of, uh, the route, uh, my live stream ended. Interesting. The live stream ended. <laughs> I guess I guess we find out how long we found out how long the live stream goes. I think it goes for an hour. The answer is one hour. <laughs> Anyways, uh, wow, I lost my train of thought. We were just talking about where where you're going, where, or where you want to go from here. Just kind of like, I mean, same thing you're saying, progressing your platform. Right. Progress my platform, progress my writing, and just kind of see where it takes me. I, I'm I do a lot of social media work for uh, various different companies, including myself, and so I'm always looking to pretty much just keep up with the trends of what what's working and what's not. And I use that to my advantage to grow my personal platform to just help the industry essentially. Well, and I think that's nice too. Like you, and it's similar to my schedule. Mine's a little different, but 
your career, as far as getting more into this social media role, allows you to live at the lake full time and ride as much as you want and continue to make that content. And that's, I think, a pretty big blessing in like a, a day and age where like a lot of people don't have that freedom. Right. No, absolutely. And it's, 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 it's got its positives and negatives, right? It's 24 7, 365. There's no days off. But I get to live at the lake. I work from home usually. And so it's, it's one of those things that, um, it's put me in a very blessed situation where I can ride on a daily basis if I choose. And most people do not have the opportunity to do that. Even if they live on the lake and have a full-time career doing whatever it is that they do, they simply just don't have the ability to ride the amount that I do. So I'm in a unique position to really create uh, more content than your average person and reach more people than your average person. So I, I use that to my advantage to, to benefit the sport and by putting out more content that, on the internet for people to find and see. As we wrap this up, what is one piece of advice you would just give the audience just as far as whether it be social media, mm-hmm. attaining a goal, mm-hmm. any, anything you choose. Like, what is one thing that you could tell people and be like, man, like, if I would have known this when I started, it would have saved so much time and effort. From a, from a writing a, a stand-up perspective, push through it. I, I've talked to so many different people that bought a stand-up, tried to write it, assuming that it would be easy, and it wasn't, and they stopped. Okay. Now you can look at that for the words that I just said in the sense of a stand-up, but I think that takes place in pretty much whatever it is that you do. If if you have a goal and you want to do something, and the first time it gets hard or more difficult than you than you anticipated, and you kind of put that dream aside because you don't have time or you just it's harder than you thought it would be, I would encourage you to push through whatever obstacle is holding you back and really give it a fair shake and really put as much time and effort and money into it to see, to see if it can actually pan out realistically for you. Yeah, that's great advice. And that's something I think is really hard to do in life. Like, you, you know, things get tough and it's just like, man, is this really worth like my time or effort? Like, and, and the reality is like, I think your story is such a huge, um, visual of like, yes, like continue to grind, continue to hustle, continue to pour yourself into it because it'll pay off. I mean, last year you start getting sponsors, things start taking off. And then like, and then I think for you, it's kind of that perspective of like, yeah, but like think how much bigger it can get. Oh, right. The, the sky is the limit, right? I mean, I'm kind of in uncharted waters in the sense that uh, there's not very many uh, social media influencers per se in this industry, right? It's not, it's not fitness. It's not, I'm definitely not a uh, female Instagram model, but um, it's it's uncharted waters. But the sky is the limit, right? Like just because I've hit this peak now does not mean that I'm going to let up. I'm going to continue to push even harder than I have before because I don't see a ceiling anytime soon. And so I want to find out if there even is a actual ceiling. Dude, I agree. That's That's awesome. It's good to hear. Uh, Michael, thank you for being on the podcast. Um, do you want to plug your Instagram socials, whatever you want to do? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you liked, if you liked kind of what I talked about and you kind of like what I stand for, go give me a follow on Instagram. It's just at I motor Mike. And, uh, if you mention that you found me on mellow Mondays, I'll, I'll definitely give you a follow back. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll link his stuff in the, in the description below as well. Just so, 
Um, you guys can find him. Go check out his page. Got a lot of stuff. Um, I get featured on every now and then, which is kind of cool. Some of our writing clips. Um, but his page is a good representation of kind of like what our summers look like. And I think it's exciting. It's fun. Like it's cool to see what other people are doing. So go give him a follow. Um, thank you for taking an hour out of your day for this podcast. I thought it was great. Was no, yeah, I thought it was awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity and letting me be on here, kind of giving me an insight to kind of what you do in the podcast and the whole nine yards. It's a, it was a really fun experience and I have a, a newfound appreciation for what you do and how you create these podcasts. Dude, I appreciate it, man. As always, thank you guys again for tuning in uh, to this week's episode. Uh, appreciate you guys. I would love it. Subscribe, rate the podcast. That just helps continue to grow our audience, continue to, uh, get Mellow Mondays out there. Um, thank you guys. This has been another episode of Mellow Mondays. Mellow Mondays.